Well, hello again and um, greetings to you all at, at Hollywell. It was good to be with you this morning and I trust the Lord will bless us as we think together a little bit on the theme of evangelism. I, I remember I spoke at a sort of day conference you had. If I remember correctly, it was about four years ago and it was... Um, I think it was held at the lodge, wasn't it? And uh, we spoke about evangelism. It was good to be with you then. And I know s several of you have been involved in coming to our Sow to Reap series, which we've we've brought to a close now. But we start again on February the 2nd, where various speakers are speaking about evangelism. So I hope you don't feel I'm laboring it too much if if today I come to um, the theme of um, evangelistic living and just before we read the scriptures and I speak I wonder if I could mention this book which you can get of course from tenofthose.com don't ever go to Amazon um, they sell pornography they sell heresy ten of those keep to the Bible and every penny profit that they make uh, they they give to mission but this uh, little book which was published fairly recently called evangelistic living it's based on the parable of the growing seed in Mark chapter 4 um, evangelistic living uh, sharing the gospel day by day i'd love you to get a copy and um, why not get a few and give them away at christmas um uh, i'm going to read a passage from the book of ecclesiastes actually it's become very precious to me i i uh, wrote a booklet on the the very passage that i'm going to speak uh, about several years ago perhaps 25 years ago maybe 30 um but it's become precious to me because verse 6 has become very very important for me it's be, sort of become my my motto in the morning sow your seed in the evening do not withhold your hand for you do not know which will prosper either this or that or whether both alike will be good and uh, i often quote that uh, to myself especially in these rather unusual and slightly challenging days for evangelism um uh, I just, yeah, in the morning, Roger, sow your seed. In the evening, do not withhold your hand. But let me read the passage. So if you have a Bible, would you turn, please, to Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and um, verse 6. Of course, Ecclesiastes comes just, uh, verses 1 to 6, rather. Ecclesiastes comes just after the Psalms, which are in the middle, and then Proverbs, then Ecclesiastes. Um, this is what we, we read. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you'll find it after many days. Give a serving to seven and also to eight, for you do not know what evil will be on the earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it shall lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know, um, as you do not know what is the way of the wind or how the bones grow in the womb of her who is with child, so you do not know the works of God who makes all things. And then in the morning, sow your seed and in the evening do not withhold your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, either this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Um, Will Rogers, I don't know whether you've come across him, an American comedian of a few years ago, sort of uh, forerunner of Bob Hope, I think. Um, uh, but he once said, everyone is ignorant only on different subjects. I find that very encouraging because I'm ignorant on a whole load of subjects that I wish I knew things about. But it's interesting in this passage in Ecclesiastes, uh, I don't know whether you noticed, but there are four areas of ignorance that are mentioned. Verse two, we're ignorant as to what wickedness there'll be. It says there, uh, you do not know what evil will be on the earth. And then verse five, we are ignorant about the way of man. You do not know what is the way of the wind or how the bones grow in the womb of her who is with child. And then in verse five, 
Thirdly, we're ignorant about the works of God. So it goes on to say, so you do not know the works of God who makes all things. And then fourthly, in verse six, um, we're ignorant as to which serving will bring forth fruit. Um, uh, you do not know which will prosper, either this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Uh, actually, in my Bible, if ever I get repeated phrases, uh, I, I do a squiggly underline. And so in this passage, you you got these four squiggly underlines. You do not know. Now, the ignorance with regard to sowing the gospel seed actually, to me, has become a great incentive to be about the work. Um, so each day. And um, each new setting and every believer can be involved in scattering gospel seed, sowing the word of God, if you want. And we do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. And I wonder if we have that sort of optimism, that faith that the Lord really will use our sowing of the gospel seed to bring forth fruit. Um, we had a Bible study just very recently with Dick Lucas from from London, and he took this line, really, that if we sow, we will reap. If we're not sowing, we can't expect to reap. But if we are sowing, we can expect to reap. So I want to develop that with you, if I may, for a few minutes. First of all, I want you to notice that we are to sow with this sort of expectation to reap. You get it in verse one. It's, it's a difficult verse to um, to explain. But the lesson is very clear and the principles in this passage are very clear cast your bread upon the waters for you will find it after many days and you can read different commentaries and they all come up with different ideas as to exactly what it means but the lesson is very very clear galatians 6 verse 9 gives us it let us not grow weary in well-doing for in due season we shall reap if we faint not cast your bread upon the waters and you will find it after many days now, I think this is really important because we've had, what, nine months, is it nearly, of um, of, of lockdown and uh, restrictions, etc. But I think also we are in a situation where we are increasingly fearful, in, intimidated, really, into silence or great caution as to what we say. We're worried that if we say this, so-and-so might happen. If we say this, somebody might be offended, etc. And, and this has left us very, very circumspect as to what we say. But nevertheless, as Christians, um, it is a duty, uh, but the duty flows out of the abundance of the heart that we we've received the most wonderful message in the world that is absolutely urgent. And we want everybody to know there's something wrong with the Christian who hasn't a desire to tell everybody what what has happened to us and what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. And um, if if we can go day by day by day without a burden to tell others, our neighbours, our friends, uh, the people we rub shoulders with. Fortunately, I live in Yorkshire. Uh, that's a great privilege. And in Yorkshire, you do talk to people on the street. If you're standing next to somebody in a bus, you, you chat to them. If you sit next to them on a bus, you chat with them. And uh, I don't know quite how it is uh, in the Midlands, but in London, they look at each other, glowering at each other across the tube, don't they, etc. Well, it's not like that here. You do naturally want to talk with people. But you see, we can just be involved with inconsequential chatter. Or we can say, no, 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 I have the wonderful uh, news that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and I want everybody to know. But there has to be that sense of expectation. So it's not just a duty that I must share something. But do you know, I might just be 
proclaiming Christ to this person who this very day could be converted. Now, do we believe that? Uh, there's that amazing story, whether it's true or not. Who knows? Because there are so many stories about Spurgeon, which I think are apocryphal. But but um, one of Spurgeon's students who came to his his pastoral training um, college came up to me on one occasion and said, Mr. Spurgeon, I'm preaching the gospel Sunday evening by Sunday evening in our church, but nobody's been converted. To which Spurgeon apparently replied, well, you don't expect people to be converted every week. Uh, and the man said, well, no. And Spurgeon interrupted and said, well, that's why they're not. Interesting. I wonder how much earnestness there is. Yes, in public preaching, but in our one to one conversations. So we're to sow expecting to reap. Or if I can quote Warren Wiersbe, who so often said what I'm about to quote and eventually wrote a book uh, with this title. It's always too soon to quit. Uh, do you remember those fishermen? on the Sea of Galilee, and um, they'd been fishing all night, and they caught nothing, and Jesus said, cast your net on the other side. And, um, well, they obeyed, I think reluctantly and disbelievingly, but they obeyed, and they got a net full of, of fish, a whole shoal of fish were caught. So how far away were they from, uh, as it were, catching the shoal of fish? <laughs> the width of a boat. They were so near, but they'd given up. And it's very easy, especially in this secular day, just to sort of think, oh, nothing's happening. If I can speak very honestly with you, um, you know, I've been working full time as an evangelist for about 40 years, but involved in evangelism and preaching the gospel before that as well. I have to say the last two or three years have been the toughest as far as actually reaping is concerned that I've ever known. Um, really, really tough. But I'm not to give up. I just want to keep on. Casting my bread upon the water, sowing gospel seed, scattering the word of God, however I can and wherever I can. Now, I wonder if that's our heart. And we don't go on guilt trips, but we do examine ourselves if we don't have a burden to share the gospel with the people we're rubbing shoulders with and say, Lord, what's wrong? You know, surely the love of Christ would constrain me. Secondly, we are to sow generously. Now we get this in verse 2 of Ecclesiastes 11. Give a serving to seven and also to eight, for you do not know what evil will be on the earth. Take the seventh opportunity and the eighth opportunity. It's interesting. Some of the best spiritual conversations I've had throughout my life as a uh, as a Christian have been when I've least wanted to talk. <laughs> it's almost as if the Lord's saying, Roger, just keep doing it. Um, a train journey where I was absolutely exhausted and uh, I'd been ministering all um, all weekend and it was a long weekend, a bank holiday weekend. I was shattered and I was up in Arbroath seated on a crowded train and I thought, I just want to snooze. But there was a, a girl sitting next to me there were two people opposite as well. And um, I just began talking just in a polite way to the, the girl. She was perhaps about 19, 20 years of age. Found out she was going all the way to Leeds. So it's seven hours on the train uh, together. And we got talking about the things of God. I didn't want to. I just wanted a break. But had the most amazing, amazing conversation with this girl. Eventually, we'd run out of things to say, really. I gave her a copy of John's Gospel. And she sat there on the train and read it from beginning to end. Uh, amazing, really. But but sometimes I found that. Give a serving to seven. OK, I've done the weekend conference. And eight. Keep going, Roger. And, and, and it's this heart that says, Lord, I want to be involved in the most important work of all. Um, and that is pointing people to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
and, and I have a very intentional view of every conversation. I want under God to turn that conversation into the things that really matter. Um, I don't know whether you've ever read the journals of John Wesley. I've got the whole set, I think, of four volumes. I've not read all four, but I've read an abridged version and it was such a blessing to me. Let me quote from uh, his diary or journal, June the 8th, 1741. For these two days, I made an experiment which I had so often and earnestly been pressed to do, that is of speaking to no one concerning the things of God unless my heart was free to it. And what was the result? Why, first, that I spoke to none at all, for four score miles together, not even to him that travelled with me in the chase or the carriage, unless a few words at first setting out. Two, that I had no cross either to bear or to take up, and commonly in an hour or two fell fast asleep. Three, that I had respect shown me wherever I came, everyone behaving to me as a civil, good-natured gentleman. Oh, how pleasing is all this to flesh and blood, needy compass, sea and land, to make proselytes or converts to this. Very challenging, very powerful. That sort of intentional desire to speak to people about Christ. We don't force it on people. We're living in a different era. But nevertheless, we seek to to move the conversation onto the things that really matter. Give a serving to seven and to eight. Then thirdly, we're to sow while there is opportunity. Now, I think this is very important for us in the UK today. Um, you get it in the second part of verse two. For you do not know what evil will be on the earth. We are living in a situation where we just wonder what is going to happen. Let's be honest, there are groups, political groups, um, that are putting massive pressure on government, on education. Education has become more about, um, I don't know, just aligning people to um, to so-called British values, social engineering, rather than actually treat teaching creativity and, and, and imagination. But that's a different matter. But in education, in the government, on the media, people fearful now to speak out because they'll be ridiculed. I've seen Philip Schofield. I've seen Piers Morgan. I've seen, um, uh, well, a number of them who who just absolutely turned on Christians and uh, it, it, it really grieves me I'm afraid and what we felt a few years ago as Chris you know I'm talking for the moment as somebody who's a little bit older was quite normal and acceptable by all whether or not Christians now is being vilified by the media uh, and those who are you know unsaved and anti-Christian so, you know, often you know revered I saw Jeremy Paxman with um with Richard Dawkins, it was almost as if he was bowing to him. He was so fawning and nobody giving any different point of view. It's incredible uh, that all sort of searching of what that man really believed, that was gone. It was just giving him a platform to spread his, his atheism. Now, we're living in that sort of day and age and you wonder how much longer we will have the freedom to be able to speak honestly the gospel. When you've got men like Steve Chalk, really saying that the bible is homophobic this is dreadful and he's supposed to be a christian you know it's um but the harvest is ready out there but it's ready to reap or to rot and if we don't win this generation to christ nobody else will ever be able to i'm not saying we'll be able to win everybody of course not but nevertheless let this generation know the gospel every person in every nation, in each succeeding generation, has the right to hear the news that Christ can save. 
I don't know whether you know the name Charles Alexander. He was R.A. Torrey's song leader. He wrote these words. Anyone who is not doing personal work has sin in his or her life. I don't care who you are, preacher, teacher, mother, father, son. If you are not leading definite people to a definite saviour at a definite time, or at least prayerfully trying hard to do so, you have sin in your your life. Now, I, I don't find it easy these days to, to witness and win somebody to Christ. But let me at least try and seek prayerfully to um, introduce men and women to Jesus Christ. Now, I, I've got to say, at this season, Christmas, I just think it's an amazing opportunity. Um, it's an opportunity to give away Christian books <coughs> as presents, maybe a book wrapped up with a box of chocolates for your postman or the... Um, electric meter reader do you still get those coming to your house or the milkman we have one of those uh, at least let's try and take this opportunity to s- spread the the, uh, the word while we can and a gospel tract you know put in an envelope um, I've, I've done these two this year coming home for christmas let's see if i can get it uh, coming home for christmas and of course next year there's supposed to be a census so i wrote this track the christmas census you can get them from from 10 of those every every christmas card is getting at least one of those and uh, there are opportunities even to just to drop them um you know uh, in 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 the letterboxes down your street or maybe make a christmas card and just say from well from me a bit from number the cars was at number 42 that sort of thing i wouldn't normally give cards to everybody but hey why not take this opportunity um i think uh, this year more than any other year the possibility of literature being used by god at christmas is is greater than it's ever been then fourthly we're to sow where we are. We get this in verse three, the second part. Um, and if a tree falls to the south or the north in the place where the tree falls, there it shall lie. Um, I look out of my window. There's a big tree just down the next door neighbor's garden. I wish that would fall, but not not onto my garden, not to this. <laughs> but anyway, um, uh, the idea is that, you know, where the tree lies, that's where it will remain. Where you are placed, that's your mission field. It's very easy to have the sort of green grass syndrome. Now, if only I lived there, or if only I had this person's job, or if only then I'd be able to witness. No, 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 no. God has put you just where you are. It could even be in a care home, and God wants you to be a witness there. It could be on a tough estate, but God wants you to be a witness there. It could be in a situation at work where you're not really supposed to say anything, but there you are as a Christian. So you look for opportunities, maybe to have coffee with somebody or whatever. It, it, it's saying, look, this is where I am and this is where I witness. I, I love Paul's descriptions of himself. He, he calls himself the chief of sinners, doesn't he? He says, I'm less than the least of all the saints, which isn't very good. Um, it, it's not very good uh, grammar because you can't be less than the least, but it is great theology. Um, uh, but it's interesting. He calls himself the prisoner of the Lord. I, Paul, the prisoner of the Lord. And, and I think that is very helpful. Amazing. He didn't see himself as a prisoner of this sort of rotten Roman guard or a prisoner of Caesar. No, no, no. I'm the Lord's prisoner. He's got me here. So whether you are in an old people's home or a care home or a works canteen or a factory floor or a school gate, uh, you know, maybe giving somebody a lift or having a lift in a car or in a hospital bed. That's where the Lord has put you. And in that locality, you are perhaps the 
one who is in that area, that place of work, to be able to proclaim the gospel. And you can do it in many ways. Obviously, we use words. We, we speak the gospel. But it might be right by writing a letter. I have a huge pile here of postcards and um, slowly going through them, writing postcards to all sorts of people and um, just finished 50 Christmas cards to um, uh, to my local care home. They gave me the list of all the Christian names of the residents there. I sent a Christmas card and a gospel tract. But uh, earlier in the year, I'd sent them all a postcard to say that I'm remembering you and here's a little Christian leaflet, etc. Uh, so writing letters. Um, giving a book as I've mentioned inviting friends do you know why don't you say look can we can we meet together um, I don't know in uh, over the phone and just chat for a little while uh, but but keeping the contact of conversation the Lord has put you there and you are the witness there no good wishing you had greater talents as I often do uh, no 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 God's given me the limited talents I've got well let me use it to speak about the Lord Jesus Christ and then fifthly we're to sow despite difficulties. Uh, you get this in verse 4. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. Uh, we can always make excuses, can't we? You know, uh, in the book of Proverbs, somebody says, oh, I'm frightened because there's a, a lion in the street. There isn't. But you can make up these excuses. It's so easy to do. We can complain about what the government's doing, what the media's doing, what the schools are doing. But let's just sow. Let's speak about Christ. And you just never know who will listen, who will hear and who will be converted. We we do not know these things. Um, some years ago, I got a, a letter from a man who was a I don't know what you call it now, but was a British rail carriage cleaner doing the night shift every day. Came to one carriage and he found a gospel tract um, on the on the um, the table where people were seated. And he sat and read it and he was converted and we were in touch for quite some time. Eventually it just suddenly stopped whether he died or or not. I don't know. But it's uh, he really went on, got involved with an evangelical church. Somebody left that tract. It may not even have been a Christian who left it. We don't know. But the Lord used it and we take these opportunities. So despite the difficulties despite the difficulties. I was very moved last Saturday. Uh, some of you may have gone on it. I was on the Release International Day Conference. It was by Zoom. And we had a pastor from Eritrea. Um, and he showed a picture of two 14-year-old girls. And uh, they were just lovely teenage girls. But 25 years ago, they were imprisoned for their Christian faith. They're still in prison. They're aged 39 now. And uh, I thought, wow, 25 years from 14 to 39 in prison, just in a prison in the middle of the desert of Eritrea. But, you know, they've won people to Christ in that prison in Eritrea. You, you can hardly get your head around it. Now, we're not we're under pressure, but we're not persecuted at the moment. But let's be proclaiming the gospel. We just never know when all this will cease. But whatever difficulties there are. Let's keep making Christ known. And then sixthly, um, we're to sow trusting God to do his unseen work. And I, I love this. Um, you get it in verse five. You do not know what is the way of the wind or how the bones grow in the womb of her who is with child. So you do not know the works of God who makes all things. We, we, we know the biology of, of how um, 
this conception of a little baby, but how it grows, <laughs> gets all the genes. I, I'm sure there's a technical way of describing, but how it's happening, what is what is life really all about? We we haven't been able to plumb it because, of course, the Lord is the source of life. But we're ignorant about that. Hey, but we're ignorant as to what God might use as well. I A, a few words here. The Lord might use them. A tract there. The Lord might use them. You know, they, they read millions of of, of words or hear millions of words but god can use this tiny seed in a special way and i often see it as a tiny little seed a mustard seed and you plant it prayerfully into somebody's mind and heart and who knows what will grow and what will come from that and i could give many many stories of how people have come to saving faith in christ and i never imagined it god used something um more recently very thrillingly and you might just pray for him um uh, 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 his name is Dane, D-A-N-E. Uh, during the lockdown, um, I've been putting up in Grassington, which is just across the way to me, in the market square there, um, which is cobbled and beautiful. You get lots of tourists because, of course, at the moment, uh, Old Creatures Great and Small is being filmed in Grassington again. So um, I've put up a table and... Um, uh, with a lovely parasol and uh, you know free please take it a book table people can just take books i'll perhaps ask i'll send a photo and perhaps we can put it on there and um every morning i go and put it up every evening i go and uh, take it down and um i was taking it down it was dark but a man came up to me and started talking it's a long story and he's going through some real difficulties he's only perhaps about 30 years of age um but I've been able to link him to an evangelical church um, in the Yorkshire Dales near to where he lives. And he's been going regularly. Whether he's saved, I don't know. He's a seven day Adventist. But he, he said the only friends I've really got um, are in this church and they've been incredibly kind to me. So just that, you know, they're putting up a table does anything substantial happen oh well the lord sort of sent this this guy dane to to talk with me we do not know what god will use we 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 pray and we proclaim and when i was with you for the day conference i will have told the uh, the illustration of ezekiel the man taken to the valley of dry bones before beside behind these dead dry decaying bones and god says son of man can these bones live and he says i don't know you know and lord you know and then um, God says to him, you know, preach to the bones and he preaches and there's a movement, a rattling and bone starts to come together to bone, the foot bone joined to the ankle bone, the ankle bone to the leg bone. You probably know this song. And eventually he's surrounded by a, an army of corpses. And then God says, speak to the wind, the breath, the spirit. And as he does, the wind, the breath, the spirit comes and transforms that army of corpses into um, a mighty living army now when you re carry on reading in ezekiel it's clearly speaking about the nation of israel what god is going to do to the spiritually dead nation of israel but but there's a principle the word of god proclaimed plus the spirit of god equals new life new birth so we scatter gospel seed we talk to people but we pray that god will do his work and he does my time's gone really but um I want to just say one last thing, and we come on to verse six, my motto. Um, so at all times in the morning, do uh, sow your seed in the evening. Do not withhold your hand for you do not know which will prosper, either this or that or whether both alike will be will be uh, will be good. 
I, I, you know, I look back and I, I've met some dear, dear folk in my time who've just loved to proclaim the word. Uh, a couple, Dr. Wilf and Nancy Morris, worked as missionaries with the WEC in North India all their lives, retired, very elderly, but they used to go into the uh, villages of Sussex and he would stand on village greens and he'd preach. Nobody would be listening, but then he'd go around and he'd, he'd give gospel leaflets uh, to all the people in the villages. Did God use that? Who knows? But he was doing what he could. I love uh, Moody. He was called Crazy Moody, this evangelist, American evangelist in the 19th century, because he was so zealous telling people about the Lord Jesus Christ. Or let me quote from uh, C.H. Spurgeon's autobiography. I used to write texts on little scraps of paper and drop them anywhere that some poor creatures might pick them up and receive them as messages of mercy to their souls. I could scarcely content myself even for five minutes without trying to do something for Christ. If I walked along the street, I must have a few tracts with me. If I went into a railway carriage, I must drop a tract out of the window. If I, uh, uh, if I had a moment's leisure, I must be upon my knees or at my Bible. If I were in company, I must turn the subject of conversation to Christ that I might serve my master. Isn't that wonderful? And um, I was listening recently to Patrick Sudeo of the Barnabas Trust, uh, Trust telling about how as a young Christian he, he was giving out tracts, preaching in the open air in, 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 in various areas of London. It's this zeal to make Christ known. And I would encourage us, despite all the difficulties that uh, the frustrations we've had of late, I would encourage us to be people who are casting our bread upon the waters. And we will find it after many days. And if we don't find it, the Lord will do his work, even if we never know quite what's being accomplished. It's great to be with you in, in, in Hollywell. And I do trust the Lord will continue to bless and use you. And uh, I know uh, for some of you have been tough days. But the Lord is with us, and sometimes when it's hardest, that's when God is doing his greatest work. Every blessing to you, and a very blessed Christmas too.